Okay, so I'm Lance, I'm a compulsive overeater. Thanks for asking me to share at the meeting today. Um, I haven't, I don't think I've shared at the Saturday meeting literally in years. So this is really interesting. Usually when I share at the Saturday meeting, I kind of do an autobiography. I don't kind of talk about recent things to myself. So let me, let me do my autobiography then. So, uh, um, so I was born one morning, it was drizzling rain. No, just kidding. Um, so I was born and when I was born, I have a twin brother. I had a twin brother when I was born. And so a lot of, and we've been, you know, kind of together in each other's lives throughout our entire life. So refer to my childhood, I'll say we did this and we did that. And that's because I always had a twin brother that was doing things with me. And so, um, so uh, we were born our, our, uh, parents weren't uh, together when we were born. And, uh, and so we kind of bounced back and forth from between father and mother through our childhood. And unfortunately, our mom was uh, crazy. And she was also an alcoholic and a drug addict. And, uh, um, and it was very difficult to live with her. So we lived with her until we were five. And then uh, she didn't want us anymore. And then we lived with our dad until we were 10. And, uh, um, and, you know, this was back in the day, this is in the 60s. And remember, there was no such thing as joint custody in the 60s. If the mom wanted the kids, the mom got the kids. It was just that simple. And dad paid child support. And that's just the way it was, you know. So, uh, so then at 10, um, our mom got us back, went to court and got us back. And then at 14, she didn't want us anymore. And then we went to live with our dad. And then at 17, 18, uh, we went to college and that was it. We were kind of done with our childhoods at that point. And so um, uh, living with our mom in those first five years, uh, the only things I remember about those early years was just being uh, uh, lonely and bored, uh, that we were just kind of left alone all the time. Our mom was out and we were either you know alone this is back in the day when, you know, if you left the kids alone in the house all day, then someone didn't call CPS and, and get you arrested or whatever. This is back in the day when you could kind of get away with stuff like that. So we were left alone a lot and uh, we had kind of a weird uh, babysitters and then our mom was very weird. Her, um, she, uh, her mental illness, uh, she was prone to real fits of anger and uh, um, little things would set her off. If you want to read about our mom's personality, you can read about something called borderline personality, uh, and that's what she was, uh, really, really bad. And so uh, I learned very early to um, that if I wanted comfort, I couldn't go to my mom for comfort because she was crazy and uh, violent. And, um, and of course, when you're four years old, you can't go to yourself for comfort. So I learned to use food as a reliable way of comforting myself. So, um, so uh, uh, I remember the first time I ate a chocolate bar uh, that back when I was around four years old, it, was, it made all my problems go away. And I learned, okay, that's, that's how I deal with being scared or <clears throat> upset, you know, is to eat uh, chocolate. And so, um, so the, the, for what I learned during those first five years and then during those four years that I lived with my mom from 10 to 14, I learned four basic uh, rules of life. I learned to, to the four basic rules of a neglected child, an abused child. I learned to, um, to, I learned to don't feel your feelings, don't share your feelings, trust no one and take care of yourself. 
And that's what I learned. I, I learned those, those four basic rules. The second four years with our mom were the real years of chaos. So our mom would, uh, she would come home drunk a lot. She would uh, go out uh, bar hopping and uh, finding men. And so um, she would, uh, uh, there, it, was, it wasn't bad. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't like she, uh, you know, uh, shot me or, or whipped me or anything like that. But it was just kind of crazy stuff. Like when she would get mad at us, so she'd lock us out of the house and we'd have to sleep in the car, you know. And uh, it was a lot of mornings of waking up and she, there'd be a new, she and a new guy would be together on the couch, you know. And I mean, lying, lying down together on the couch. And, and it was just weird stuff like that. And also um, our mom, uh, she really needed a lot of uh, care because she wasn't very life competent. And so I wound up also taking the role in her life of being a, a real caretaker for her and um, uh, being a, a little bit of the husband role in her life. So uh, I would do a lot of the cooking and uh, managing the house. Um, if, if she was too hungover to go to work, I would call her boss and say, hi, my mommy's sick, you know, she can't make it today and, and this kind of stuff. And then during that time, uh, she so she had three drugs that she would use. Uh, her drug of choice was alcohol. And that was when she was like a violent monster. And it was horrible when she was drunk. And, uh, um, and again, this is back in the day. She had a lot of what they called a 502, you know, the DWIs, just a ton of them. But we, we kind of lived in a different world back then in the 70s, 60s and 70s. You could kind of have DUI after DUI and not not go to jail and not get your car impounded or anything. And she spent some time in prison and, and uh, in jail rather in jail. And so, so that was bad. So, okay, so alcohol made her violent and crazy. Uh, her second drug of choice was uh, benzodiazepines like uh, uh, um, Librium and Valium back in the day. And that made her, she was like a zombie who smelled bad, you know? So she'd just be, uh, you know, but she smelled weird. And, uh, and then her third drug of choice was pot. And that actually made her nice. That like calmed her down. But uh, I, you know, this is, I, I guess she couldn't get a hold of pot. And also just for some reason, alcohol was really where she liked to be. Even though marijuana was, well, she was like nicer when she was on pot. And when she would date a boyfriend that would supply her, uh, she was nicer. But for some reason, she really liked how alcohol made her feel. And, and it was just horrible, you know. So, uh, um, so I'm, I'm learning, I've learned that chocolate is, the, is the, my way out of negative, very negative feelings and the feelings of fear and feelings of, you know, I'm worthless. And, and uh, you know, I, my only use in the world is to be kind of the smart problem solver who takes care of my mom. You know, that's, that's my only good in the world. And, uh, so um, what happens is as I go through my high school years, my chocolate use increases and I go to college. And, and finally now I'm, uh, so put me at 23 years old, our dad uh, died, he died in a car accident. And so uh, by, uh, by 24, it's, it's like the one year anniversary of my dad uh, dying. And I went through a real bad depression on that one year anniversary. I started seeing a therapist, and that was when I first learned uh, back in 1984. That was when I learned that my diet, my eating of chocolate, might have been contributing to my depression. So at that point, I was eating about a pound of chocolate a day, you know, 
and skipping meals to be able to have chocolate. Uh, that was my, my main sustenance. And at the time, what would happen is when I'd eat a bunch of chocolate, I'd get really, really high, like happy and feel loved. And, and then after about an hour, I'd get super depressed. And the only cure was more chocolate. And so then I'd get happy again. And I just kind of did this up and down, up and down thing. So not only was I really depressed, but I was super irritable. I would just I would blow up at the smallest little thing and be very angry. And I was like a, a one of those wall hitter kind of guys, you know? So I was always hitting walls and putting holes in walls and, and uh, breaking, destroying things. And, and uh, you know, just that, that kind of thing. I remember one time I, uh, uh, when I was in a bowling alley, it was back when we had pinball machines and, and I'd be playing a pinball machine. And when I lost, there was one time where I put my hand through the glass of the pinball machine and and uh, it was don't do that i thought i was going to do it really well I, I i timed it so that i would just hit the top of the glass and come up you know so that i wouldn't cut up my hand but so i did boom and the, the glass went psh, and i lot of i did it and then you look and you're just covered with blood and like, oh shoot you know but, uh, but i just ran out of there you know i didn't uh, have to uh, i didn't own up to it i didn't uh, you know pay for the glass or anything like that but anyway, I would just do crazy, crazy stuff like that all the time. So I started seeing a therapist and I told him about my diet and, uh, and he's saying, Lance, you're, you're, you know, you're for such a smart guy, you know, you're not being very smart about your diet. Why don't you try instead of chocolate, just not eating chocolate and see what happens. And then, uh, I, so I gave up chocolate and three days later, it was like, I woke up out of a nightmare. I mean, it literally was I realized that all, everything that was going wrong with me with this very severe depression and, and, uh, and uh, irritability and stuff was, was from the chocolate eating and this crazy addiction. So I thought, well, that's it. That's the solution. If I can just give up chocolate, I won't be crazy anymore. And, uh, uh, and then literally for the next two years, I tried to give up chocolate and I couldn't. I always came back to it. I always came back to whenever I needed comfort, I always came back to that the chocolate. So, so when I was uh, back in 1986, 87, I was at UCLA and I was trying to get my PhD in math, but I was so depressed and crazy, I couldn't do it. I couldn't finish the program or anything. And I was just at my wits end. I really hit bottom. And so there was a friend of mine who lived in LA who was an Overeaters Anonymous. And she said, Lance, you need to go to Overeaters Anonymous. You need help. You've tried for two years on your own. You couldn't do it. You need help. So I went to my first Overeaters Anonymous on a meeting on April 18th, 1987. And uh, that's where I, uh, and then that was the last chocolate that I ate was April 18th, uh, actually April 17th, 1987. So my abstinence from chocolate starts April 18th, 1987 in an OA meeting in LA. And uh, that was a miracle. It was like it gave my life back to me. Uh, I was able to be, I was able to have friends again. I was, uh, the people in my family loved me and, and could have me around because I wasn't always so irritable and defensive and depressed and crazy. And it was really a miracle for me. What did it for me is at the time I was, and I still am, at the time I was a Christian, what used to be called a born again Christian. And so, um, so the big book was so perfect for me. I was a little bit of that guy, if you read about in the big book, the guy who says, who thinks that religion is all about what is God going to do for me? And why isn't God answering my prayer? 
and then you realize, no, that's not the way it is. God wants me to be his secret agent in the world. And the question isn't, what is God doing for me? The question is, what am I doing for God? God is sharing with me what he wants me to do with my life and my time. And if I just uh, have that willingness to do what God suggests and recommends, I wind up being happy and I wind up having a useful life. And I and uh, if I want to feel loved, the best way to do that is to love other people and listen to God's voice in my heart. So, and so that that was really I was really a third step guy back in 1987, giving my life and my will to God's care. And then you don't worry about stuff anymore. So that was a miracle. That was great. I went to meetings the rest of my time that I was at UCLA and for a few years after that. And then, uh, you know, I moved back out to <clears throat> the Inland Empire. And then I just, I gave up chocolate. I was done with it. I was sane. I wasn't crazy anymore. And then I just stopped going to OA. I just figured, well, I don't need this anymore. And I can just live my life and just stay away from chocolate. And, you know, that's it. I'm I'm good. <clears throat> And so then I, but slowly I started, you know, just like an addict, you still, you know, it's when I need that comfort, unfortunately, when I need that feeling of comfort and that feeling that I'm a lovable person, I can't just go into my own heart and, and rely on all my happy memories of childhood when mommy, you know, picked me up and hugged me and, and I just naturally feel loved and feel at home in the world. I can't do that. And that's empty. I go into my own heart and my own recollections and there's just nothing there. And so, so <clears throat> I'm always, I'm always going to turn to objects outside of myself to help me feel comforted and help me feel loved, you know, and the, you know, cause I've always got that addictive tendency because, <clears throat> you know, as they say, uh, there's this one a book that I read on addiction, on some kind of addiction, that says that fear of abandonment is the core of the addictive longing. And, and I still have that not eating chocolate didn't make my fear of abandonment go away. You know, I'm always going to have that fear because I really was abandoned quite, quite a lot, you know, um, growing up. So <clears throat> I'm always going to have that. So, so, uh, um, so I started going about maybe I'd say about 15 years ago, I started coming to OA meetings again. And, and then this, I got a sponsor. Oh, um, the other thing I want to say is when I was going to those meetings in LA, I had a sponsor and she was so amazing. All she would do, she would have me call her every day. And all she would do is say, Lance, tell me how you feel. Tell me about your feelings today. Share your feelings with me today. And that's all I would do. And she just got me into this habit that it's so much healthier, it, even though it's irritating and, and difficult, it's so much healthier to share your feelings and feel your feelings rather than just eating and, and not feeling anything. So she just got me in this habit of, Lance, you know, share your feelings. That's, five, that's five what minutes left. Five minutes think, left. Five more minutes? Yes. Okay, thank you. And so, um, <clears throat> so... In 2005, at a Star Trek convention, uh, by the way, I, you can see I'm a, Star Trek, uh, I'm a member of the medical corps, yay. Um, so about uh, 15 years ago, 2005, I got this revelation from God uh, at a prayer retreat kind of thing that uh, I've always had this dream of being a doctor and going to med school. So 2005, uh, at age 45, I started preparing for med school. And then at age 47, I went to medical school and uh 
and became a doctor. So I was the, uh, during my time of being in med school, I was the, the oldest, fattest medical school student in Southern California. And so that's a, the distinction I, I embraced. And so, um, but it was during that time that it was very, very difficult, extremely punishing to do medical school and residency. And uh, that was when I started going back to Overeaters Anonymous today. And, and I got a sponsor, I got an actual sponsor who led me through the 12 steps and, and who was okay with me calling him at six in the morning, 5.30, six in the morning on days where I didn't think I could make it that day. I didn't think I could make it through. And then uh, again, it was really for me, recovery is number one about feeling my feelings and sharing my feelings. But also number two, <clears> the <throat> recovery is about, um, I feel one of the big ways I feel God's love is by going to meetings and by having a relationship with my sponsor and with my sponsor, sponsor, my sponsor, sponsor, sponsor. And, and just that feeling of I'm loved, I'm embraced, and I'm not going to be abandoned. And so really, for me, I have to go to a minimum of four meetings a day to be abstinent, like minimum four meetings a day. Because what happens is because I don't have, I don't naturally have that voice inside me that says, you're lovable, Lance, you're adorable. I, you know, that's, I, I just, just crickets when I, when I want to feel that. And so, um, but uh, the people in the meeting help me to feel loved, help me to feel God's love, my higher powers love. And my sponsor does as well, and so that's that's uh, um, <clears throat> so that's a very important part of my recovery. Um, another thing I want to say is um, I'm still. Oh, what did I want to say? Um, I'm, I'm, oh, so my life right now is, is wonderful. It's a life of a lot of service. You know, I'm a physician, and you're, and I'm one of those doctors who's kind of on call all the time. For you know, for people who want to talk about medical stuff, and uh, um, and then also um, I try to be very loving and compassionate with my patients, and then also I, I I don't have a family of my own, but I have my brother's family, so I've been going there every day because during the epidemic, during the pandemic, I've been kind of sheltering quite a bit because I'm the you know I'm the overweight guy with a heart condition, so this, you know like this. The COVID was was designed to make people like me very sick. So, but uh, but it's wonderful to go over their house and to help my niece with her homework and to cook the meals uh, about three days a week and and uh, I, I, a life of service and a life of of feeling like um, there's nothing as uh, there's nothing I can do that's going to risk God's love for me. There's nothing I can do that's going to risk being completely abandoned, you know, because my life and my will are in the care of God. And then also when you do a lot of service, you just, I don't know, you just feel grounded and, and uh, settled in the world. Um, so I still struggle with a uh, fear of abandonment, though I still struggle with all those things I used to struggle with. But uh, I just feel I have so many things to be grateful for right now in my life. Um, it's really, it's a very different life that I'm living right now than I did uh, uh, back when I was using chocolate and back when I was eating a lot. But it's, it's been hard. Maintaining abstinence during this epidemic time has been really difficult for me. You know, just uh, I need schedule and I need consistency. And, and it's been hard for me to have schedule and consistency during this time. 
But anyway, uh, that's it. That's all I wanted to share. Thanks for letting me share.